0: This morning's text comes from Acts chapter 8 verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Please join me as we pray God's blessing on this morning's message. Father, I thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you for his sacrifice, for his death, for his resurrection that gives us new life. We ask now your anointing on Pastor Tom as he delivers your word. Prepare our hearts to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Come all you kindreds of the nations to the immortality of the baptism. I bring good tidings of life to you who tarry in the darkness of ignorance. Come into liberty from slavery, into into kingdom from tyranny, into incorruption from corruption. And how, you may say, shall we come? How? By water and the Holy Spirit. This is the water in conjunction with the spirit by which paradise is watered, by which the earth is enriched, by which plants grow, by which animals multiply, and to sum up the whole in a single word, by which man is begotten again and imbued with life. In this also Christ was baptized, and in, it, and in this the spirit descended in the form of a dove. This is the spirit that at the beginning moved upon the face of the waters, by him the world moves." By him, creation consists, and all things have life, who also work mightily in the prophets and descended in flight upon Christ. This is the spirit that was given to the apostles in the form of fiery tongues. This is the spirit that David sought when he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Come then, be born again, O man, into the adoption of God. And how, you may say, if you cast away the armor of the devil and put on the breastplate of faith, just as Isaiah says, wash yourselves and seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless and plead for the widow and come, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, I shall make them white as snow. And though they be like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Do you see, beloved, how the prophet spoke in advance of the purifying power of baptism? For he who comes down in faith to the lever of regeneration renounces the devil and joins himself to Christ and den- who denies the enemy and makes confession that Christ is God who puts off the bondage and puts on the adoption. He comes up from the baptism brilliant as the sun. Flashing forth the beams of righteousness, and which is indeed the chief thing, he returns a son of God and joint heir with Christ. These are the words of Hippolytus in AD 225. Today represents one of the great days of the calendar year uh, for the Mercy Hill Church family. As I said earlier, this is, this is Baptism Sunday. Every year we come together. Every year we uh, we come together for this uh, for this uh, rite for this for this sacrament of the church that has been since the very beginning, since Jesus Christ instituted it for us. Um, it is a wonderful time. It is an awesome time where we gather together and we celebrate what God has done in the lives of people. And so I, I would encourage you guys, uh, make sure you're there. Um, we'll be gathering over at uh, Bayview Park um, and uh, starting to eat probably, probably about 12.45. And baptism will take place around one fifteen, one thirty. 1.30. Uh, God's given us a good good day for it. Um, it's hot enough that when I get in the cold water, it, uh, it, it might be refreshing instead of freezing. Um, But make sure you guys take this opportunity uh, to be a part of it because this is such a special moment in the history of the church. And and that's the reason why I bring to this morning this quote um, from an early church father. Because I want to establish the the great importance, the the foundational expression that water baptism has been throughout the church's history. Um, A level of importance, a, a foundational expression that I really feel has, has, has been softened over the years. Um, for so many, the act of water baptism is, is kind of a convenience thing. It, it's a when I'm ready to do a thing, when I have the time to do it, when it, when it fits into my schedule, when it seems to make sense for me. We 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 walk in faith. We walk in, in this in this in this Christian understanding for years, and we we never enter into the to the to the sacrament of of baptism. I can even think back from what, from when I was a kid. Um, I gave my heart to the Lord really early on. I was probably about seven years of age, and um, it was a Sunday night service. And I remember specifically that it, that it was a Sunday night service. They had an evangelist there who who also happened to be a uh, he was a ringmaster of the circus. Um, which might go to explaining why my walk in the Lord has been what it's been over the last uh, few years. Um, but I remember seven years of age coming forward and, and giving my heart to the Lord. And and as I began to understand baptism, starting at the age of nine, I, I, I began to ask my mom, every, every, every time the opportunity arose, mom, I want to be baptized, mom, I want to be baptized, mom, I want to be baptized, mom, I want to be baptized. And I um, and my mom was in this in this mode of saying, "Well, I want us all to be baptized together. So when everybody's ready." And so for six years, for six years, like I would ask my mom to be baptized. I would ask my mom to be baptized. I would ask my mom to be baptized. And and I think there's a reason for that. I think because there was something I, I never really understood it until I began to understand the the, the foundational importance of baptism. It was it was beautiful that we as a family we did. You know, we as a family uh, on Sunday night we we all got into the the big tub, you know, in the front of the church and uh, one after another from, from my brother to me to my sister to my mom and my dad. And my mom, actually. It was too high. She um, and it was cool. But I really feel as though we view water baptism not in the way that it was viewed um, in 220, uh, 220 AD or even in the way in which we see it here, amongst, um, in, the, in the text we read this morning. Um, you see, baptism is the natural expression, the, the expected response to the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in your life. It is not, it is not just this kind of thing we do whenever we feel like we want to do it or not do it. It is the, the natural outflow, it is the natural expression, it is the next step the Word of God indicates to us when God takes hold of our hearts. We see it not just, not just in the quote that I quoted this morning from an early church father, but, but, but what happens as, as, as Philip reveals Christ to the Ethiopian man, we see the expression of baptism being tied so closely to having Christ capture your heart. Then Philip opened his mouth, it says, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Do, do, Do you see the immediacy of what took place? Philip, Philip shares with him who Jesus Christ is and, and the truth of Jesus Christ, the true, true, truth of the gospel, the good news takes hold of his heart. And right away, the Ethiopian eunuch says, what keeps me from being baptized? You'll notice in some of your translations uh, that the text might jump um, from verse 36 to verse 38. verse 37 missing, right, right in the middle of it. And that's because in some of the early manuscripts, from which, which our Bibles are translated, the following exchange between, between the Ethiopian and Philip takes place. When the Ethiopian says, what prevents me from being baptized? Philip replies with, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And then he says, what is to prevent me from being baptized? Whether that specific exchange took place or not, the understanding was: since you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God with all your heart, the next reasonable step is to be baptized. And there's a deep reason for this. There's a a deep importance for this. It's not just simply this act that we do. It's not just simply this ritual through which that we go through. It is this deep and important implication to it. It's a deep and important step that takes place when we are baptized. What prevents me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God, nothing, nothing should prevent you from being baptized. If you believe that he is the son of God with all your heart, See, the natural response to the work of Jesus for salvation, the the work of the Holy Spirit that brings you to the understanding that Christ is Savior, that Christ is hope, that Christ is life, is not simply the commitment to follow Jesus, but the public declaration that I am committed to follow Jesus. It is standing up and saying, this is my allegiance. This is my life. This is what matters to me. I don't want anyone to think I'm hiding it. I don't want anyone to have any, any, any illusions about who I am and what I stand for. But I believe that Jesus Christ is my hope. I believe that Jesus Christ is my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the truth. And therefore, I want everyone to understand that I am a part of his kingdom. I am a part of his church. I belong to him. It's the willingness to identify with Jesus Christ. It is the declaration that I am committed to following Jesus Christ. And don't get the impression as you read this story that, that, that Philip and, and the Ethiopian eunuch were, were, were alone. The Ethiopian eunuch, you read this, he was a really important guy, right? I mean, he was way up there. I mean, he was responsible for all of the treasure of the queen of Ethiopia. And so he had this entourage of people who were going with him. He, he had servants who, who, who would attend to his needs. He had a security detail that would take care of him. And, and so when he went down into the water, it wasn't just this, this secret quiet thing that he did all by himself, but he defined in front of his, his, in front of his fellow Ethiopians, in front, of, in front of his countrymen, he defined himself as a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, listen, I'm not shying away from this. And, and you got to realize, even, even think beyond this, the, the, level, the level of declaration, the level of commitment, the level of covenant that, that would, be, would be made in that first century church by a high official, you would be held to that. He would be viewed and say, this is who you say you are. This is who you say you are. This is the commitment you say you've made. Are you living that commitment? Are you, are, you, are you engaging in that commitment? Is this a part of you truly and deeply? Or was this false? Was this a lie? This was an important step. This, this mattered. This, this meant something. He stood up and said, I follow Jesus. And I mean, he would be, he'd be one of the first, maybe the very first in his society to, to claim Christ as the one he would follow, and he did it in, in front of all who were there. He did it in front of all who would go with him, into his nation, to be able to say, "You know what he did?" Iranius writes in 150 A.D that this Ethiopian eunuch went back to his country and became a missionary and began to preach himself the good news of Jesus Christ, and most likely began to baptize his, his countrymen into the faith of Jesus Christ. Baptism was the public expression of a very real internal commitment, a very real internal change. And for the first century church, understand this was a powerful expression. See, we're going we're gonna to go out of here, after second service, and we're going to go down uh, to the to, to the park, and we're going to we're going to cook out, and we're going to barbecue, and people are going to drive by, and some people are going to go, oh, that's a church over there. They're doing their thing, and we're going to go down to the water, and we're going to wander into the water, and there's going to be we've had this before. There's going to be boats out there, and they're going to blow their horn at us, and they're going to wave at us, and people are going to see what we're doing, and and everybody's going to understand that this is a church doing a baptism. And we'll all dry ourselves off and we'll all get our cars and we'll all go home. And nothing we did there will have put our lives at risk. Nothing we did there will have made made us in a less safe position in our lives. But when the first century church stood up and said, I follow Jesus, that was a deep commitment. There, there was the fear, there was, there was the very real sense that, that they could end up in prison because of this, that they, could end up, that they could end up beaten because of this, that they could end up dead because of this. I, I think you've got to understand the, the weight of what baptism is. It is the very real confession. I will follow Jesus no matter what it costs me. I want everyone to know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So many of us spend so much of our lives hiding our Christian faith, wanting wanting to pretend that we're not really Christians, wanting to pretend that, 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 that we aren't really Christ followers because we just want to blend in with everyone around us. We want it to be okay. This is this was a commitment that was made to say I follow Jesus and there's nothing about it that is going to be changed. I am not turning back. I'm following him. There are people even today that can identify deeply with the first century church. I remember talking to a missionary friend of mine about a friend uh, that was out and they they led um this young man was led to Christ, and he came from a, from a culture in which, in which Christians were violently oppressed. And he came to Christ, and he gave his life to Christ, and he made the de- declaration that he wanted to be baptized. And, and it, was, it was very known that as he would make this public expression, the, the, the word would get around that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. but but he believed deeply in his heart that he needed to make the declaration, I follow Jesus, that I can't be ashamed of uh, of my relationship with him because of so much that he's done for me. And and when he went to say goodbye to his Christian friends and go back to the village he was going to, he, he literally believed he was saying goodbye to them for good because his full expectation was that the word would get back to home and he might suffer even death for his faith. He he didn't keep it quiet. He He didn't hold it in because he was so deeply convinced of the truth of who Jesus Christ was. It's not a truth you bury. It's not a truth you hide. It is the public declaration. I follow Jesus. I bring this up because I think it is something that each one of us really deeply needs to think about and understand for our lives. This is Jesus is precious. Jesus is worth declaring. Jesus is worth being committed to. This was what the first century church was saying. This is, this is what they believed in. This is, this is how they lived themselves out. In our series Unstoppable, we've been examining the, the attributes, the attitudes, the actions of that first century church. That first century church that that so changed the face of the earth. And in doing so, we have been challenged to emulate this example. Whether it's the unity that was declared very early on, that they were of one accord, that they were together with a singular purpose of knowing Christ, of spreading the word of Christ. Or or maybe it was, or maybe it was the declaration that that they were obstinately committed constantly to prayer. Seeking God, seeking a touch from him, seeking in community, this relationship with God. And then we discovered how the Holy Spirit poured himself out and they were given the spirit and they moved in the spirit and they weren't afraid to go forward and declare the name of Jesus Christ in all circumstances, all situations, because what we learned is they believed that Jesus was the answer. As we've walked through this, we have seen in their lives what it means to be that church that changes the world. We have been called to emulate the heart and the devotion of the early church. And so their actions, their heart, their attitudes should be ours also. To follow Christ. And the first Christians publicly express this devotion. A devotion that is born of the inward transformation brought by the Holy Spirit. This action, this devotion should be something we emulate. Understand this. If you have followed Jesus in baptism, that's what you did. That's what you did. If you're here this morning and you gave your heart to Jesus Christ and you made the decision that you were going to follow him in baptism, what you said was, I am declaring my devotion to follow Jesus. I'm making a commitment. I'm standing up before my brothers and sisters. I'm standing up before the entire world, even those who might deny Christ. And I'm saying, I follow Jesus. A public commitment to your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have joined yourself publicly with who Christ is. I would ask you this question. How much does that truth weigh on the life you live? How much is that truth? How much does your standing up and publicly declaring, I follow Jesus, I'm a follower of Christ, I put my foot in his footprints, I I I walk the path that he walked, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. How much does that weigh on your day-to-day life? How much is, is that weighed in the decisions you make every single day? For us to not be hypocrites in that act, we need to follow Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. We need to love as Jesus loved. We need to forgive as Jesus forgive. We need to be holy as Jesus was holy. We, we need to walk as Jesus walked. This was our declaration. This was our commitment. Maybe you're planning to follow Jesus in baptism today. I want you to understand that this is what you're doing. I want you to understand that what you're doing is you're standing before your brothers and sisters in Christ and all the world and saying, I follow Jesus. I've laid aside, I've laid aside myself, I've laid, I've laid aside the, the, the pressures of this world, and I follow Jesus. When you rise up out of that water, your declaration is when my foot hits dry land, it steps into the footprints of Jesus. It follows the path of Jesus. What what a beautiful expression of what God has done in us because you are so convinced that he is truth, he is life, he is hope, he is everything. And if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, but you've not followed the example of this first century church, I I would emulate you, I I I would encourage you to emulate this declaration I, I, would, I, would, I would encourage you to follow this pathway. Even today, maybe you haven't planned on going and being water baptized today. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, man, the, the call, the, 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 the leading of the Spirit is that we go in, into that, well, those waters of baptism, we rise up with a public declaration that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of the words of Peter. In Acts chapter 2, at the birth of the church, where he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you know who those who are far off are? You and me. It's the church universal. It's the church that came afterwards. He's saying, he's saying to us in that declaration, repent and be baptized, every one of you. The progression of the believer is to repent, to be changed by the work of Jesus Christ, and to be baptized. That is the example the first century church gave us. From the beginning of the book of Acts, which was the beginning of the church, to this morning's text, Follow him, follow him, follow him, follow him, follow him into baptism. And as you rise out of the water, follow him in the life you live. That is the example that we see in the interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. But there are some other really important examples found in this morning's story that we can learn. And I think it starts with Philip himself. So Philip ran to him. I want you to stop here. And I want you to look at the type of life that followers of Christ lived in that first century. I want you to look at the life that, that all these believers, all those who are, who are uh, followers of Christ, all those who were born in that first century, I want you to look at the life they lived. What jumps out at you as you read this is how, how Philip goes about his life. He is at the beck and call of God. He's at the beck and call of God. Like like God speaks to him and says him to do something, and what does he do? He goes. I mean, it starts with an angel showing up. So, I mean, an angel shows up in your bedroom and says, go and do something, you might go do it, right? Because that's pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty big. But, but even as you read that, what happens with the angel is the angel just says, he just says, I want you to go to this place. He never tells him what he's going there for. He never, never says anything to him about exactly what it is he's going to do. The angel shows up and says, I want you to go to this place. Now, like I say, for some of us, angel shows up, we're going to do it. Some of us, we're going to take the covers and put them over our head and pretend that they're not there, right? But he didn't do that. He like, he's like, I'm ready to go. All right, you want me to go? I go. And then what you see, then what you read is after he goes, after he goes, it says what? And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. What, what is said here is it's not, it, now we're not in an angel place anymore, right? It's not this angel who shows up. It is simply the spirit of God speaks to his heart. The Spirit of God says, I want you to go to that guy over there. See that guy in the chariot? I want you to go and talk to him. And and what is amazing to me as I read this, what does it say? The Spirit spoke to him, and what did he do? He ran. He ran. Like, Like so many of us, God will speak to us. God will speak to us. And man, if we like shuffle in that direction, we're doing pretty good, right? I mean a lot of us, a lot of us we're we're like, we're like he didn't say that. He didn't he didn't say that. Right? Like we hear this, we hear that we hear the Lord lean us to do something and I, I mean and, and I want you to put yourself in this situation. I want you to put yourself in this place. We're we're talking about he's asking him to run up to this guy who's in this chariot, who very clearly has a lot of money, who's completely and totally outside of his cultural uh, uh, comfort zone. This is a guy who is a Jewish Christian. This is a guy, this is a guy who as a result of his growing up, as a result uh, 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 of his, his of his faith was taught that that guy's unclean. That guy's unclean, you can't even interact with him really. But when the spirit of God said go, he ran. And he ran to that man and he stepped in. I mean, again, here's this guy who's clearly got money. He's got this whole entourage around him. He's got all these people there. And there was little, there was no fear. There was little hesitation. There was no hesitation. The guy ran to him and said, God wants me to speak to this guy. I'm speaking to this guy. There are two really important things I, I, I want us to draw from this. First of all, I want you guys to remember this. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit does speak still. The Spirit, God is not a silent God. God is not a dead God. I've said this before. One of the important things that we need to understand about the teachings of Scripture all throughout, from the Old Testament to, to being adopted into the New Testament, is we serve a living God. The Bible describes our God as not silent He's saying he's not like he's not like those, those gods who have carved out of wood. He's not like those gods who have been fashioned with precious metal that just sit there and do nothing. We serve a living God who, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is still speaking to us today. You have got to be open to the leading of the Spirit. You've got to open your hearts and your minds and position yourselves in a place in which you understand that God is speaking. God speaks to us in accordance with his word and in accordance with his purposes. This is one of the things that whenever, whenever, whenever we talk about this type of thing, it's important for you to understand something. God's not giving us a new revelation. He's giving us a leading for our lives. It all fits within the, his word. God's never going to tell you something that's counter to his word. But he's still active in the lives of individual, individual believers saying, I want you to go and talk to that man over there. I want you to say to this person these words. I want you to go and take that position. I want you to go and, and go to that situation. I want you to trust in me in this moment and give. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to us today. Today. And it's an important thing for us to understand and to be open to. And second, what I learned from this is Philip obeyed. Period. No hesitation. Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran. What we understand from this is that we as believers, as as it was in the first century, need to be this even now. We have to be open and obedient. Open to the reality that the Holy Spirit speaks to God's church. You know what this requires? It requires us to be in prayer. It requires us to be in His Word. It requires us to be in the fellowship of the believers so the Spirit has opportunity in our lives to speak to us, to give us direction. We have to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and we have to be obedient to the words that He speaks. You have to obey when He tells you to go. You see, the church that is absent this, the believer that is absent this, will not be dynamic, but it will be static. We will stay in our understanding. We will stay within our wisdom. We will stay within our thoughts. Whatever we have, whatever I've got, whatever I think is what we will live out. It isn't until we invite the Holy Spirit in and say, man, lead me where I, where I would never go on my own. Lead me into the things I would never do myself. Allow us to become and stretch and go beyond my own individual human identity. I've been in both places. I've been there where the Holy Spirit has spoken to me and out of fear and out of doubt and out of pride, really. Because it seemed weird and it seemed odd. And what happens if you show up? And I just said, no, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. Do you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing dynamic. nothing, Nothing amazing. Nothing beautiful. I just drove away. And I've also been in that place in which the spirit of God has spoken to me. And he said, as you're standing here, I want you to say these words to that person. And as I stood there, I thought, man, these, these words could be offensive. These words could be, accused, could be taken as accusatory. But as God gave me the knowledge of what was going on in somebody's life, and he wanted me to share that with them, I began to share that with them. And you know what happened? Something dynamic. Something dynamic something beautiful as as tears began to well up in their eyes and said, how did you know that about my life? The spirit of God spoke to me and told me I needed to say this to you. And God began to transform that person's life. We have to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. And we have to be obedient to respond. We need to be willing to run and not just shuffle. Don't limit yourself because you aren't open Don't limit yourself because you aren't obedient. Because this is what the dynamic church of God looks like. This is why an Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of the desert somewhere got baptized somehow and went back to his country and changed people's lives. Because Philip was open and obedient. Let's continue reading. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading. Isaiah, the prophet asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, "About whom I asked, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else?" Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. Now this is the most consistent example in the first century church, and this is the most important lesson we can draw from the first century church. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus Christ. The only message of the church is the good news of Jesus Christ. The only message of the church is the good news of Jesus Christ. The church's narrative is not about human flourishing. It's not about personal prosperity. It's not about happiness. It's about the good news of Jesus Christ and his gospel work. That is the message of the church. That is the hope of the church. That is the only thing we have that makes any difference in any way at any time. We are not Oprah. Understand that? Okay? We're we're, we're not Tony Robbins. Okay? We're not Zig Ziglar. We are messengers of Jesus Christ, who is the only hope of the world. The only message we should be bringing, the only message we have, the only thing that is important is the work of Jesus Christ and the truth of who he was and the glory of where he's at and our call to follow after him. I want you to think for a moment what the Ethiopian was reading. What he's reading is taken out of Isaiah chapter 53. And what's quoted specifically here is Isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 and 8. But hear the lead up to verses 7 and 8. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our our sorrows. the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, the message of the church is that Jesus Christ gave his life that Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that we might be set free. And when that becomes real, when the spirit of God awakens that truth, we can't help but follow him because he is truth. You see, this this is the reality of what it means to be saved. It is coming to this place and this understanding that there is no hope but hope in Jesus. It is coming to the reality that there is no life, but life in Jesus. That Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, the the, the perfect Son of God, He who was God, came to this earth and suffered and lived the life of a man, enduring all that we endure, experiencing all that we experience. Not because He had to, not because it was his, His act of penance, but because we needed it. Because every single one of us, as Isaiah says, we're like sheep who had gone astray. We've all lived our lives for our own wants and our own desires. And we have believed that our hope and our life and the truth is in the things of this world. And so we've chased after the pleasures of this world. We've chased after the things of this world. And we've said, God, I don't need you, my father. I don't need you. I've got this whole thing figured out and because of our sin because of our desire to be separated from god and chasing the things of this world believing that there's something out there that that fulfills us believing that there's something out there that satisfies us we have rejected the heavenly father and therefore we have we have been we 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 are we are resigned to we are commissioned to live separated from our heavenly father for all time but jesus christ came to this life, came to this world, and suffered and died, receiving the penalty of our sin, of our rejection of God, so that whoever would believe in him will have life. You see, salvation is the understanding that there is only life in Jesus. It's coming to the end of ourselves. It's, it's coming to the end of this world. It's coming to the end of what, what, the, what this world promises us and realizing that Jesus is everything. Everything. Jesus is hope. Jesus is life. It isn't found anywhere else. And so when that captures your spirit, when that captures your heart, when that captures your very existence, you can't help but follow him. This was the starting message of the church. And it has to be the total message of the church. Peter in Acts chapter two on that Pentecost Sunday delivers the message that births the church. And in that message, he speaks of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he concludes with this summation, that all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. And it says they were cut to their heart and they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized and you will receive the Spirit of God. See, Peter's message was simply this. It is the truth that salvation is found in Jesus alone. There is no other hope out there. There is no other life out there but in Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit of God imprints that upon you, that's when salvation comes. This was Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. This was Peter's message as he stood before the Sadducees Before they beat him and threw him in prison. This was the message of Stephen as they took rocks and killed him. This was the message of Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch that there is no salvation in anyone but Jesus Christ. There is no hope in anything but Jesus Christ. There is no life in anyone but Jesus Christ. He is Lord, He is Christ, He is the Savior. And when the Holy Spirit instills that in your heart, and he puts that truth in your heart, you understand that there is no other truth. There is no other hope. There is no other life. No other king but King Jesus. And it is only to him that you will bow your knee and you will give your life to follow. It is the natural response when the king walks in. And that is why the Ethiopian eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from standing in front of all and saying, he is who I follow. He is my king. There is no hope in anything but Jesus Christ. So I want all to know who I have put my hope in and where my devotion lies. Because I will follow him. This is the message. He is king. There is no hope in anything else. There is nothing worthy of our fidelity. He is only that which is worth following because he is king and he is Lord and he is salvation. If you're here this morning and you've resisted him as king in your life. If you're here this morning and and the fidelity of your life has been to everything else but Jesus, I'm calling you to truth. I'm calling you to life. I'm calling you to hope. My guess is you've gotten to the end of this. My guess is you're at this point in which you've discovered that all the things in this life that you've put your hope in. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's in friendships. Maybe, uh, maybe it's in some guy or some girl or some financial well-being or some wealth. And you've gotten yourself to that point. You realize it's still not fulfilling. It's still all empty. I've got to keep reaching. I've got to keep grabbing. I've got to keep getting more. I am here to tell you, hope and life is in Jesus. Because when people walk out, Jesus is still there. When relationships fall apart, Jesus is still there. When the job goes away, Jesus is still there. When the high fades, Jesus is still there. He is life. He is hope. If you're here this morning, and to this point you have resisted the message of Jesus Christ as hope and life, I want to give you this opportunity to accept him to receive him as king in your life, to to follow him, to walk the path with your foot and his footprints and discover what most of us have discovered here. He is life. He is hope.